Praise the name of the Lord. Thank you, guys. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, and we're going to go to chapter 20. The Gospel of John, chapter 20, we're going to begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read to verse 18. When you got it, say so. And the word of the Lord says this, it says, Now on the first day of the week, that being Sunday, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and there and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloth lying there, yet he did not go in. And Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. And the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own, to their own homes. Verse 11 says, But Mary stood outside of the tomb weeping, and she wept. She stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one on the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had laid. Then, then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary... She turned and said, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples what, that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Lord, we thank you so much for your word that is truth. We thank you for the resurrection and what we celebrate today. And Spirit of the living God, we just ask you to speak to our hearts in these next few moments. God, that you would be glorified, Lord. We praise you. We thank you for your word. And we honor you, God. Help us to be doers of your word, not hearers of it alone, Lord. And may you be glorified in our lives as we respond to your truth. We pray this in Jesus' good name. And someone said... Amen. If you do not have an outline, raise your hand really quickly. We want to make sure that you get an outline so you can follow along in the sermon and take notes. And for our guests that are here today, uh, we just want to welcome you. Can we put our hands together for our guests, thanking you for being with us today? We're grateful that you share with, that you're sharing this glorious occasion with us. If you don't have that outline, keep your hand up. The reason why it's important is two things. I always say this. Number one, it's because you can, first and foremost, you can follow along with us as we go through, through the sermon, which is important, and that way you can stay with me. You can answer some questions there. The second reason why it's important that you have an outline is not just so that way you can take notes, but it's because we get together weekly and what we call our Connect Life groups. Those are our small groups. We meet in different homes where we um, have meals 
together, and then we discuss the sermons. And so the questions that are in this outline, they are there so that way you can answer them and then you can contribute to the conversation. And very important for us, if you are not part of a Connect Life group, that you do get connected, that you see Pastor Chad and he will help you out because we realize that life is meant to be shared. Amen? All right, so we are continuing on in our series, and we did start a series in the Gospel of John a few months ago, and we're continuing in the Gospel of John. We kind of skipped ahead a little bit. We'll go back to chapter four next week, but today, because it is Resurrection Sunday and this special and glorious day, we decided that we were going to go ahead and jump ahead and look at the resurrection um, story from the perspective of John. And so today, if you look at your outline, we celebrate what I like to call the Christian Super Bowl. The reason why I call it the Christian Super Bowl is because everybody gets well, not everybody, but people that like football, they typically get excited about the Super Bowl, especially if one of their favorite teams is going, right? I'm just saying, right? And even if your favorite team is not going, typically you get excited because the two best, you know, at least, you know, it's seemingly the two best NFL teams of that year are going to the Super Bowl and it's going to be a good game, right? So it's exciting and we want to watch that. It's the, it's the highlight, you know, or the, the apex of what? Of the football season. And so when you look at Christianity, Christianity has something and some of you may not be familiar with it. I got a whole lesson from a guy who um, got a degree in liturgy. He's a, he used to be a worship leader. He's now a pastor. Some, well, he was a pastor somewhere. He's actually the director of Canterbury Retreat and Conference Center in Oviedo. And I was asking him because, you know, I'm not, I'm obviously, I'm not very liturgical. You know, I don't have a robe on, you know, and, 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 you know, those different, you know, we don't participate in a lot of the stuff that happens. But there's something that happened 40 days ago for those people that are into the liturgy of the church. And it's something called Ash Wednesday. And what happens is that day, and you, you see some people that are walking around, you like think like they have dirt on their head or something, right? And it's not that. And I listen, I, I actually went up to him one time and I looked and I was like, what is today? And it was Wednesday and I just didn't say anything, but I realized that it was Ash Wednesday and he participates in that. And so ultimately, you know, they put the ashes there. And the reason why they put the ashes there is because the Bible speaks of something called sackcloth and ashes. And whenever there was a time of mourning, what happened in the Old Testament is that they would put ashes on their head and they would put on this sackcloth as a sign of mourning. Well, what they start, Ash Wednesday, the reason, the purpose of this is because they are symbolizing a season of mourning right? They're symbolizing the next 40 days where they're supposed to make some sacrifices. And that's the purpose of it. You don't have to do it. Though. I'm just trying to give you a little bit of history so you can understand why I call this the Christian Super Bowl. And so what happens is for those 40 days, they're sacrificing stuff. And then they have this thing that started last Sunday. It's called Holy Week. Y'all know what Holy Week is, right? Holy Week is the, the, it's the beginning. It begins on Palm Sunday. And the reason why they call it Holy Week is because they actually, in some cases, they have a few services that take place going all the way up until this day, which is resurrection. Sunday. But on Palm Sunday, it's when we celebrate what? We celebrate the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem when they were laying palm branches down at his feet and they were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? They were talking about, Lord, save us. And then those same people who were crying out, Hosanna, then began to cry out a few days later, crucify him. So one day they're worshiping and welcoming this amazing Savior, and then the next day, you know, a few days later, they are all saying, the same people are saying, crucify him, kill him, put him to death. For what? What did he do? He didn't do anything. There was no reason to do that. And then what happens is in the liturgy of the church, they celebrate, you know, they have, they have Palm Sunday. Then they usually have a Good Friday service, and Good Friday is the day that we celebrate. It was a Good Friday for us, a bad Friday for Jesus, Right? 
because he died in our place. He suffered for us. And so there's sadness, and then they have this thing called Holy Saturday. Some of you don't even care. Like yesterday, you were doing all kind of stuff, right? But for some people, it's Holy Saturday, right? They don't do anything unholy, right? And if you were, you know, most of you, some of you grew up, it's funny, one of my friends posted, he said, you know you're Hispanic if you only ate fish on Good Friday, right? And so for some of you, those are some of the traditions that you had. But what happened is, it was all from 40 days ago, it was all looking forward to what? To this high day. The resurrection of Jesus. It was celebrating. It was looking forward to this day to celebrate. And so this is that moment where we get to celebrate the thing that separates us from every other religion, every other belief system within the world. And so it marks the beginning of the Christian New Year, really, because it's when everything starts again. We see the first day of the week. And so looking at your outline, it reminds us of the one thing that sets us apart from all other religions, a living, risen, victorious Savior who is deeply concerned with our lives. And see... Here's the, that, that's so important for us that we realize that Jesus didn't just rise from the dead, but that Jesus is very concerned about our lives. He's a living God. He didn't just rise from the dead and check out and say, okay, now y'all figure this out. But he's concerned about our lives. He's actively involved in our lives. And so as we continue our study in the book of John, the real Jesus, we will look at um, John's account of the resurrection of Jesus and see from his perspective why we can trust and believe in the resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 4, it says this very important portion of scripture. It says, if Christ is is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. In other words, if we were to paraphrase it and bring it into what, what's going on right here, if Jesus is not risen, our time together is a waste of time. If Jesus is not risen, you singing all of those songs, there's no point in that. It's pointless. Everything we do as Christians, it is pointless, but thank God we serve a risen Savior. Amen. We serve a risen Savior, and therefore, our faith is not in vain, or our faith is not empty. Our preaching has a purpose. Almost 2,000 years ago, God the Son walked out of the grave after being deceitfully betrayed by Judas and tried with a fictitious trial. He was brutally beaten and humiliatingly crucified. He victoriously conquered death and the grave. And you know why he did all that? He did all of that for us, to grant us the hope of eternal life and salvation from our sin and the penalty of our sins. See, Jesus was good up in heaven by, you know, sitting on the throne. He didn't have to come down here for himself. He wasn't doing something for himself. He was doing something for us. He was doing something on our behalf. And so when we look at this story here, I want you to look at a, a few things here. First of all, we, read, we, we already read through verses 1 through 18, and so we won't read those again, but repeat this after me. Say, the disciples were hopeless, fearless, and faithless. I want you to think about this for a moment because as we consider the resurrection and the many false teachings about what really happened, it's important that we see the way that John portrays the disciples. You see, because when we talk about the resurrection, there's some things that we should consider and we should think about because there's some people that will say certain things like, well, you know what? The disciples stole the body of Jesus. And so he didn't really resurrect. They stole his body away. Y'all remember reading that in the Bible, right? You heard about that, where that's what the Jewish leaders of that day, they said, listen, we need to communicate that they came and they stole away the body of Jesus. But we have to think about what was going on with his disciples. Another, another lie is that Jesus really wasn't dead. He just like resuscitated when he was in the grave. The cool breeze brought him back to consciousness. He just passed out on the cross. 
You see, there's issues that are there, and, and, and the problem is that there's a, there's, there's a, this brings a lot of questions as to, you know, the, 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 what, what, what we would like, what some people would like us to believe is false about the resurrection as though the resurrection didn't really happen. But the reason why it's important for us to understand the mindset of the disciples is because the way that the, mind, the mindset of the disciples were makes you understand these people weren't stealing a body away. There were some issues that they were going through. There were some emotional things that were just happening. For three years, they walked with Jesus, right? They walked with him. They heard his teaching. They thought, you know, this was the one that we had been waiting for, right? This is the Savior. That we, this is the Messiah. This is the one that's going to restore the kingdom back to us. I mean, they were excited about him. And then from Hosanna to crucify him, things changed dramatically. Because he came in and he was celebrating. They were like, yes, this is the king. This is the one that we've been waiting on. And then all of a sudden, a week, day, a week later, a few days later, these people are crying out, crucify him. And Jesus didn't slip out like he had done in times past. But Jesus got caught up, brutally beaten. And we didn't see it today, but we heard those sounds that remind us of what Jesus went through. He, didn't, he wasn't able to escape that. But then he is crucified. And not only is he crucified, but he, he's crucified. And then they shoved this spear into his side, making it sure that he is dead. He is taken down from the cross. They prepare his body and they do what? They put him in a grave. They seal it with a rock and they put a centurion soldier there to guard this grave. And so what happened to these disciples is that these disciples are sorely and sadly hopeless, but they're not just hopeless. They're also fearful and they're not just fearful. They're also faithless. And so how do we know this? Well, let's look at verse 19. We already read verses one through 18, where we see the hopelessness of Mary Magdalene, right? When Mary comes to the grave, she runs back to tell them what? To tell them, hey man, somebody took Jesus's body. She comes back and tells the disciples this, and so then they run out, you know, a couple of them, and they go and they check, you know, to see if this is true. And look at verse 19. Look at this. They all went back, right? Mary Magdalene, she was stood there by the grave, but the disciples went back to, the, to, to where they were staying. And so it says this, verse 19, it says, then the same day at evening... Being the first day of the week, it's still Sunday, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. Notice what the text says. First of all, we see a hopeless woman by the name of Mary Magdalene running back from the grave, telling the disciples about the fact that Jesus' body can't be found. And then the next thing that we find here is the condition of the disciples. They were fearful for their lives. They were afraid. They said, man, we followed him for three years. And if this is what occurred to him, then maybe the same thing, the same fate awaits us. Maybe we are going to be crucified as well. Maybe we are going to suffer because we followed him. We worked with him. And so they were what? They were fearful. These are not people that are stealing a body out of a tomb. Hello. These are people that are afraid for their lives. Their mindset is not one of hope. And then the last thing, look at verse 24 and 25 with me. It says here, now Thomas called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So the first time that we see in verse 19, when Jesus came, Thomas wasn't there. And verse 25 says, the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he, this is Thomas, said to them, unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So we see Mary as a hopeless example. We see the disciples as fearful examples. And then we see Thomas as a faithless example. 
So the thing that, I, that, that, that brings this question is hopeless, fearful, faithless people don't fabricate stories and then die to keep the lives alive. Are you here? See, when we talk about the proofs of the resurrection, one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection is this. What is it that turned these hopeless, fearful, faithless people around and made them become what they became? It is only because of the resurrection of Jesus. Because these people didn't have hope. They weren't walking around with hope like, hey, you know what? Let's go make up a story. Let's do this. Let's go ahead and let's steal his body away, and we're going to lie and tell everyone that he rose up. It wasn't what they were doing. They were there, and they were scared for their lives. They didn't have this hope that was there. And so when we look at that, that is so important for us to realize that this is what, this is what was occurring within the disciples. The second thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, Jesus always meets us where we need him. Now notice, I just gave you three examples of one person who was hopeless, and we saw what in that story there? Mary was standing outside of the tomb. She was weeping. She walks back into the tomb. She sees the angels. The angels are like, woman, what are you looking for? And then what? Jesus appears to her. She doesn't recognize Jesus. We don't know exactly why she didn't recognize Jesus. We know in one of the other accounts of the gospel, God didn't allow the disciples to recognize him because God wanted to speak to them, and then later on, they got a revelation, and so it could have been that. It could have been because the tears in her eyes were so much that she just couldn't see clearly. It could have been because of the way that they remembered. And most people think that the biggest reason why she didn't recognize him was because the last picture that Mary had of Jesus was him hanging on a cross, bloodied and beaten. And the scriptures tell us that he was not even recognizable because of what? Because of the beating that he had taken. And so she doesn't recognize him, but what does Jesus do? Jesus speaks to her and awakens her to the reality of who he is. And so he meets her where she is. Well, we see the next thing in verse 19. It says what? It says that Jesus appeared to his disciples who were in a room, feared for their life. They were locked in is what the scripture says. And what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't come in there and says, yo, why are you guys afraid? That isn't his, the, the words that come out of his mouth. The words that come out of his mouth are peace be to you. In other words, he's telling them, you are fearful for your life. I come to bring you peace because everything that I was telling you about is going to happen and everything that I told you would happen did happen from the crucifixion to the resurrection. So Jesus meets them where they have their place of need. And then as we continue to read this story about this guy by the name of Thomas, and you know, a lot of times we get down on Thomas because, you know, we called him and he has this little nickname called Doubting Thomas. And many times we get really down on him because he's such a doubter, right? Like everybody else saw him, you know, saw Jesus and testified to him. It's like, dude, can't you just get with it? I mean, don't you believe us? But you know what? When you read the, when you read the Gospels and you read other portions of Scripture about this guy by the name of Thomas, Thomas was one of the only ones that was really willing to die with Jesus when he was walking with Jesus. Are you here? See, Thomas was the kind of guy that if he had the facts together, he was going to run hard, but he needed the facts. That's, that's what his issue was. He, he wasn't just going to take you. He's like, look, I'm not going to die on your word, but if I see him, I'll die with him. Amen. See, that was his heart. That was his mindset. And notice what Jesus does. Jesus does eight days later, and you, you can continue reading the, reading the text to see this if you'd like. But eight days later, he appears. He comes and makes a special appearance. And guess who it's for? For Thomas. It is specific for Thomas. And so understand this. Jesus meets us where we need him. Hello. He doesn't condemn them when he's talking to his disciples. He doesn't condemn them for their unbelief, but he confounds it by giving them eyewitness, personal, and tangible evidence of his resurrection. 
He speaks to Mary. Mary realizes that it's Jesus. She runs back and tells the disciples. The disciples are still fearful. He shows up in the room with the, with the disciples and he communicates to them. And then they know that he's alive. And he comes back eight days later to do what? To give Thomas the proof that he needed. And of course, you know, he, he tells Thomas, you know, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who believe and have not seen. That's us. Hello. Because he doesn't come and show up to us in a tangible way like walking into the room in flesh and blood. I mean, not he, he, I'm sure he has in some people's scenarios, but it's very far and few and in between that that has happened. Hello. Are you hearing me? Most people that talk about Jesus walking in the room with them end up with some kind of false religion. I'm just saying. So we need to be careful with that kind of stuff, right? If, 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 we're, if, we, if we are going to take the word of God at face value, which is what we should do, is realize Jesus gave all of this evidence for, for who? It is for us so that we can believe. See, God is always willing to meet us where we need him when our hearts are sincere before him. See, the one thing that he realized is that these disciples, they were hurting people. Mary was hurting Although she was going to this tomb and she had no hope of resurrection, you know, the uh, other, other gospel portions show us that they were going there to do what? They were going there to bring more spices to complete the, the burial rituals, and that was it. They weren't going there for any other reason. They weren't going there with hopes of Jesus walking out of the grave. But God doesn't falter for that. The disciples locked up in fear. God doesn't fault them for that. God meets them where they are. Because what? He rose in power, but he wants to do what? He, doesn't, he, he, he wants to empower us to have faith in him. He wants to empower us to be able to believe, for us to be able to move forward in our relationship with him. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the resurrection, the resurrection. warrants our faith, faith and our devotion. Look at verse 21 with me. Verse 21 says this. It says, so Jesus said to them, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And so the first thing that we find here is that Jesus gave us the necessary witness to his resurrection. We see hopeless people turn into hope-filled preachers of the gospel. We see fearful people become bold witnesses for the gospel. We see faithless people become faithful unto death for the sake of the gospel. And why is that because Jesus walks into a room because Jesus walks out of this grave because Jesus communicates with them he shows them that he is alive and then what does he say he says okay I'm alive now that's not it that's why he tells Mary he says look don't cling to me because I haven't ascended to my father yet because what happens is everybody just wants to kind of keep Jesus to themselves are you here Everybody wants to kind of keep Jesus. You know, I want Jesus for me. But here's the reality. The reality is Jesus says, as my father sent me, so I send you to do what? To share me with the world. To share me with the world. To share who I am. To share the reality of this resurrection. And so the resurrection calls us to what? It calls us to action. The next verse that I ask you to look at is look at verse 29. Verse 29 says this. It says, Jesus said to him, Thomas, you, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Can I tell you something? We have tons of proof. Look, there's 109 prophecies. Just, just to give you a little bit of proof, 109 prophecies surrounding Jesus' life, his, 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 his everything about him, his, his, his um, birth and you know, where he was going to be born, all of the things that he was going to do, 109 prophecies there right, that we have in the scriptures at least. And every single one of them came to pass. So what does that tell me? That tells me that if everything Jesus or everything that the Bible said about Jesus was true, that this, this is what I understand then. What I understand then is that probably every other thing that the Bible says is true as well. Are you here? Yeah. 
If I have this evidence that 109 prophecies that, I mean, look, just to fulfill like two of those prophecies would have been difficult. But to fulfill 109 prophecies, that's a lot of prophecies. Are you here? And it wasn't like prophecies that were told yesterday. No, no. It was prophecies that were told hundreds, hundreds, even thousands of years before Jesus existed. When you look, I mean, when you look at the first prophecy about what he was going to do is where? It's, it's in the garden after the fall. That's where the first prophecy about him comes into play. And so what we find is we have all of these prophecies about what he is going to do. And they're in the scriptures for us. And so what happens is you and I shouldn't wait for Jesus to walk in the room when we have proof right here. Are you? We have proof all over, and that's what this scripture is written for. And look at the last portion of scripture here, verse 30 through 31. It says this, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. And so what we have here is we have a collection of things that Jesus did, right? We have a collection of things that Jesus accomplished and that occurred in it, through him, but not everything that he did is written down. It says this, but these, in verse 31, but these are written, this is our memory verse, but these are written that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life and life in his name, right? That you would be able to believe that Jesus is the Christ, so the reason why these scriptures are written, the reason why this book in, in particular, the Gospel of John, is being written is for what? It's so that way we could believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world. It is to come to the understanding that Jesus died in our place, that he came and he was the only substitute for our sin. That's the first thing that we have to believe. That Jesus came to this earth to die in our place. The second thing is that Jesus is God the Son. That he is not some made-up character. He's not just some good guy who lived in this earth, but that he is God the Son. That he is deity. And, he, and it's not just so that we can believe that he's the Savior, that he's the substitute for our sin. Not just so that we can believe that he is God, but it is so that way we can respond in faith. See, here's the thing. Many of us, we, we come to Resurrection Sunday, and, you know, for some of us, we get excited. Some of us do not. I don't know, you know, where you're at on that spectrum, but here's the reality. The reality is we've heard this, and we should hear. Listen, you should hear about the resurrection every week. Amen? It's not reserved for one Sunday. I believe it's the Super Bowl Sunday for Christianity. Absolutely. But here's the thing. It's not just the, you know, one day. But we should hear about this. We should hear this gospel continually. The reality that God is a good God. That God came to this earth because of us sinful men. Because of people who were born into sin. Who were separated from God. And who were what? Who were on their way to hell. And there is nothing we can do to deliver ourselves. Here is the reality. Every one of us in this place has to make a choice. When we look at the facts of who Jesus is and we look at the reality of what he did for us by dying in our place, you and I have to make a decision. Am I going to trust him as Lord of my life? Am I going to surrender my will to his will? Am I going to accept his sacrifice made for me or am I going to walk out of here like, well, I checked it off. I went to church on Easter. See, we have to ask ourselves this question because these things are written here for a reason. And here's the truth. And, I, and listen, I'm not, I'm not one of those fear tactic kind of guys, but here's the, here is the bold, honest truth. Understand this. You have heard God's word being preached. You have heard the truth about who Jesus is. And that makes you accountable to God for that truth. 
And so here's the reality. Every one of us, everyone in this room, look, everyone in here right now, you are accountable to God. And so what are you going to say to him? Let's say, I mean, I don't know when you're going to die. Do you? Does anybody in here know when they're going to die? None of us do, right? The Bible says tomorrow's not promised to any of us, right? And so the reality is none of us know when we're going to die. So what happens if you walk out of this place and some tragic accident happens and you end up dying or who knows, you're drinking a cup of water. It doesn't take much to drown. Hello. You go to a restaurant, you know, something happens, some freak accident happens, and you die, and you stand before God. My question is, what are you going to say to him? Are you going to be able to say, well, you know what, I believed and responded, or you know what, that was a good message. I heard that, but I wasn't sure. Listen, Jesus wants to meet every one of us right where we're at. For those of us that are believers, you know what, we can rejoice. But for those in here that you may not be a believer, for those in here that you have not put your faith in Jesus, today is the opportunity for you to do that. Today is the opportunity for you to trust him with your life and understand that he is there and he wants to meet you right the same way that he did with his disciples. He wants to meet you right where you're at. John's purpose in writing this gospel is to grant us the substance that our faith needs to be firm and with it the life that God wants. Here it is not enough to have faith, but our lives must be devoted to the purpose with which God saved us to be his children and as such his gospel witnesses. It's not enough just to say, hey man, I believe this stuff. But the question is, is there devotion? Because the resurrection warrants our faith and our devotion. See, real faith means that my life changes. It's not, just, it's, just, it's not enough to say I believe. Real faith means that there's something that occurs within my life. And I close with this question for you. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe what the scriptures say? And if you're sitting here and you're saying, I don't, you know what, I, I, I don't believe, or, you know, my question, my second question is, what is hindering you from believing? There's a, lot of, there, there's a lot of things that hinder people from believing. You know, some people had bad, exa- bad, bad examples in their life. Some people had bad experiences in their life with church people. Hello? Listen, let me tell you something. Church people ain't all good. Matter of fact, I don't know any good church people. I know saved church people. Hello? What I mean by that is I, I, I do my best, but that doesn't make me good. Hello? By God's standards of good. You know, I was thinking about standards, right? And I was thinking about, you know, for some people, and I, I, I won't use the word because I don't want to offend anyone, right? And, but, you know, for some people, you know, I'll say it like this. You know, some people walk around, they drop F-bombs all day, and, you know, that's, that's just normal for them. So when someone else comes and they use, a, you know, a word that's not as, you know, harsh, they didn't even notice. That's not even like a curse word. But to somebody, you know, like my daughter, you know, if she, you know, says a certain word, like, you know, hell. Like, they started spelling hell. I use that one, right? They started spelling hell like H-E, you know, double hockey sticks or something like that, right? Because they didn't want to say the word hell because it was a bad word, right? But for other people, like, that's nothing because of what? Because their standard is different. Can I tell you something? God's standard is so much higher than ours when it comes to being good. That's what I'm saying. I know saved people. I don't know good people. Hello. I'm just saying. I know some of y'all don't want to hear that, but it's the truth. Right? The reality is we're never good enough by God's standards. That's the point here. It's not that you're not righteous. There's a difference. I'm righteous because of what? Because of what Jesus did. Because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. Jesus wants to make me good enough. Jesus wants to make me righteous by his standards. But he can only do that by his sacrifice, not because I am good enough. See, we measure our lives many times, and we look at, you know, we had, some of us have bad experiences. That's the reason why we don't believe. Some of us, we just don't. You know, you know what the reality is? For some of us, we just think, I have a good life. 
You know, my marriage is good. My kids are good. Our finances are good. What do I need Jesus for? Listen, you need Jesus. We, we all need Jesus. Jesus doesn't just come to give us our best life now. Hello. I know someone lied to you and told you that, but here's the thing. That isn't what Jesus came to do just to give you your best life now. Can I tell you something? You can have a good life now and have a horrible life later. And what I mean by later is when you breathe your last breath. We all need Jesus, no matter how much money we have in the bank or how much money we don't. We all have the same debt before God, and the one who paid that debt was Jesus Christ. And so what is it that's hindering you from believing? Maybe you don't believe that you need him. I don't know what it is that's hindering you, but here's the thing. There are many questions surrounding the resurrection, yet God gives us Old Testament scriptures that prophesied about the coming Messiah, his birth, his death, his resurrection. I told you about those 109 prophecies. He gives us Jesus who fulfilled every last one of those prophecies. He gives us eyewitness testimonies of those who saw Jesus and interacted with him and in many cases even died for the gospel's sake. And he gives us the Holy Spirit who testifies to our hearts and convinces us of the truth. God offers us more than enough stability to take a step of faith. Here's the thing. He doesn't require you to leap. He requires you to step. He's not asking you to jump across the building. Hello. He's asking you to take a step of faith, to put your faith and to put your trust in him. The question is, are you willing to take that step? Do you recognize that your sin separates you from him, that you can't save yourself, that he paid the ultimate price for your sins and offers you the free gift of salvation? Do you believe that? Stand to your feet. Let's pray together. Hallelujah. Father, we come before you right now, and we humble our hearts in your presence, and we ask you, Jesus, to glorify yourself in us. Father, I pray for each person that is in this place today, and I just ask you, my God, you know where, where we are all at. Some of us, Lord, we don't have a relationship with you. Some of us are not walking with you as we ought to, Lord God, and so... I just pray for those, Lord God, that you would draw their hearts to you today. I pray, Heavenly Father, for those who are in a relationship with you, that we would be the light that you've called us to be. Help us to be overwhelmed by who you are. We pray this in your great name. Amen. You can be seated.